0: Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker podcast for Thursday, April 25th, otherwise known as not even national, but World Penguin Day. A day where the whole world can uh, get on board with that, not just America.
1: The originators of the tuxedo. That's right. At least
0: the natural tuxedo.
1: Yeah, all natural tuxedo. The waterproof tuxedo. Yep, got to have one.
2: Penguins are cute, but they kind of smell bad. I think they have Whale in their feathers or fur that, yeah, they smell like fish oil. You can't well, confirm also, the also, all they do is eat. They also only
0: eat fish. That's so true. That probably doesn't help either. I bet you they would try bacon if you gave it to them.
2: I saw a really great YouTube video. they smell nice. Of a family in Japan that had a pet penguin, and they put a backpack on it, which is adorable. <laughs> and then the penguin would walk from their house into town and would go to the fish market and the guy at the fish market would feed the penguin one fish and then put another fish in the backpack for later, and then it would walk back home, and it did that every day. Wow. Was That's the other awesome. fish
0: also for it to eat later? Yes. What, oh, so he didn't what did were they doing for this? its
2: humans. Yeah, they also have a really interesting way of eating where they <sighs> tilt their head so that their beak faces completely straight up, yeah. so <laughs> their neck aligns, so a whole fish... Just slides right down. It's just great that they evolve certain postures to avoid chewing.
1: Yeah, it's just a straight (laughs) fish funnel. But but before we move on, I feel like we need to touch on the fact that he didn't do anything for his humans. Yeah, he He just just went and got a fish for now and a fish for later, but nothing. That's what I'm saying. To
0: what end?
2: Why are we? I guess just because it's cute for the TV show. If you have an adorable pet that feeds itself, that is doing something for you. You're right.
0: Especially
1: if you can make it into a viral internet video. It's
0: also brightening up the spirits of the community.
1: Yeah, there we go. Well, shout out to penguins, man. They've been,
0: especially ones they've been that doing wear backpacks. it
1: for a long time.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> especially penguins and backpacks.
1: Yeah. All right. So we've got to make a quick apology for no episode last week. Uh, ben and I, we, we were traveling, uh, or at least I was traveling. What all Wasn't did we ben have there to do? Wasn't Ben there too? I was about to say, because we were in Atlanta. I'm sorry. At first, I thought we were talking about the old pal bus, which we'll be talking about in a minute. But what we missed the podcast for was the Home Depot Perspective event in Atlanta, which was a really good good time. It was a few days. It was hosted at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, where the Falcons play. And I've got to say, we got a tour of that stadium. We got to go into their locker room. We got to go down to field level through the tunnel that they walk out through to go out to the games and see the the 360 Jumbotron that they've got. Was Maleki having flashbacks? I wish I was in his group. I wasn't, in, I wasn't <laughs> in, in the same groups. group as him, but I have to imagine he was out there ready to, like, strap up, throw on the <laughs> shoulder pads, and just, like, run out there and hit somebody. But... It was a great event. We got to see a ton of tools from basically all of Home Depot's major vendors see all of their things that they're releasing for twenty nineteen, whether that's for the majority of power tool brands, their new batteries, which seem to all have more power than everyone else. (laughs) Everybody's (laughs) got the most (laughs) everybody's got the strongest battery with the most runtime. But it was really it was really fun. What what kind of stuck out to you, Ben, while we were there?
2: The most interesting thing to me is how these companies are thinking of themselves is that they're starting to think of themselves as battery companies. And I think that's really smart. RYOBI, for example, has 70 million batteries in circulation in the U.S. And so when you think about what that creates, that creates an opportunity, not just for tools, but for all sorts of, you know, gadgets, electronic devices. The thing that, uh, that I really was excited about was they created a, what do you call like a Dremel tool as a generic name? I always just think of Dremels as Dremels, right? But they basically created a Dremel alternative that where the flexible shaft isn't an accessory, it's actually built into it. So it's a little base station, and then it has this small pen-sized rotary tool. They could use Dremel-type attachments, and I tried it. It's fantastic. So the a normal Ryobi battery plugs into the base station, and then you have this really lightweight thing that you can hold just like a like a pen or pencil. Yeah. That was really cool. But the single thing that I thought was the most overdue, I mean, obviously I have a ton of Ryobi batteries. I've been with them for a long time. They created just a socket that fits on the end of the batteries that allows you to plug in a USB or your laptop. So you can basically... I always thought it was so silly that I have all these Ryobi batteries, but then I have a separate battery that I put in my backpack to charge my phone when I'm traveling or a laptop when I'm stuff like that. Now yeah. I can just take one of my Ryobi batteries, put this adapter on it, and I'm good to go. And those batteries are actually way better than those ones that you get at like a, an airport mall or something.
1: Yeah, Ryobi seems to be doing a pretty smart move because there's other brands out there, whether it's... Makita or Milwaukee, those industry brands that have the incredibly heavy-duty batteries. So they're the ones that are either 60-volt or 40-volt, and they've got a really high amp hour. And so those things power outdoor equipment really, really well. So if you strap those into a chainsaw, that thing's going to have so much torque compared to an 18-volt Ryobi platform. But what Ryobi has done, like you mentioned so well, is it seems like they've got more tools, but also more accessories and non-traditional tools that fit on their platform than anybody else. And I think that's a really strong move. I was at their booth and I saw the same thing and it had me scratching my head. What else could you fit on an 18 volt platform that Ryobi is kind of not already doing already? Do you think
0: that the reason that every company has like a different proprietary battery in terms of like the way that it fits, do you think it's as a business decision, or do you think it's because like they want to ensure that their tools perform a certain way so that you're only using their battery on their tool? Like, well, Do you think, think we'll ever see one where two companies both. are like, you know what? Screw this. We're going to make it where the batteries can go in between our two tools.
2: It's both. But if I was Harbor Freight, I would create that a drill Adapter. that works with any battery.
0: Right, right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Cuz <'Cause> Harbor <laughs> Freight already doesn't even have brand loyalty to the brands it carries. Like it switches over so fast all the time anyways. You're 100% right. Well, right.
0: Imagine like if every drill had like a different shaped chuck or like every circular saw used a, you needed a different arbor size yeah. or you know, hole in your saw to to use it. Or whatever. That'd be crazy. I'm just thinking of like other things in other realms where it's similar. So like cameras would be something that's similar where every camera company Lens. has a different mount. Yeah, the way that their lenses mount. Although they make adapters that you can use. And then actually, so like my camera, the, the Panasonic GH5 is micro four thirds. So any micro four thirds camera is an open system. So like Olympus also makes micro four thirds and like Blackmagic. And all of those lenses are interchangeable. So it has happened.
2: Yeah, well, let's say jigsaws, jigsaw blades are an example where they've kind of, like the T-Shank ones are pretty universal. They work on a lot of different brands of jigsaw with yeah. reciprocating saw blades. I think those are pretty universal as well. So there are a lot of things where they do make it work. But I guess it would be for performance issues to everyone has a little bit different motors that are, that are optimized for different batteries. So it right. probably, probably would be a little bit different. The other thing that I thought really stood out to me was the Diablo demonstration, they were cutting, I think it was like three inch by two inch tube steel with a quarter inch thick wall with a regular circular saw. Oh, wow. And they put a, I don't know if it was this, yeah, I think it was a seven and a quarter inch diameter circular saw. It was either seven and a quarter or six and a half. And the, the ceramic technology for blades has gotten so much better that they can make these blades that cut steel cold. And the demo was, he was just using a handheld normal circular saw. He cut through this pretty hefty section of tube steel and then as a demo he held the tube steel that he just cut to his face to show that it cut cool it wasn't all hot the way an abrasive blade gets and that was pretty mind blowing the fact that you can cut steel like that just because blade technology has gotten that much better and you know the ev- the, the evolution saw has been around for a while but that's kind of geared differently than a typical uh, miter saw that's meant for wood. So seeing that come along was pretty mind-blowing to me.
1: Yeah, the other fun part of this event was there was all of the Home Depot outdoor vendors. So everybody that makes riding lawn mowers, all the Troy builds, all the Husqvarna, or not Husqvarna, but a lot of the other outdoor brands. And so there was all of these tool companies that had zero-turn mowers, out for people to use and demo. And then we have a bunch of bloggers and YouTubers and Instagrammers out there that have never ridden one before. Mm-hmm. And they've got this kind of cone set up for people to test them out. And holy cow, the amount of people that I almost saw completely wipe out was insane. These, these poor cones got ran over like <laughs> a 1,000 times by people. But it... Yes. Oh, that's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah 100 percent. and it was also funny seeing seeing all these ways that brands are demonstrating the quality of their product so i'm gonna go back to troy built who makes a lot of mowers so whether they're push mowers or classic riding mowers they've got all these demonstrations to show how durable they are so they've got a they've got one that makes sense it's the the pull start test so they can strap a mower into this machine and then test you know pulling the cord a thousand times to make sure every time it starts. Mm-hmm. Solid test, totally makes sense. Test number two was one of their tractor mowers on top of a thing where each wheel was sitting on an actuator that basically pushed up and down. It was like a whack-a-mole that this tractor was sitting on. So it basically <laughs> simulated driving on a rough environment. So it would kind of make sure the suspension was doing well and that the deck that the blade set on was still staying flat. Mm -hmm. Then the third one was just a drop test where they would lift just a normal old push mower up about four feet and then just let it free fall to the ground. And I'm sitting there thinking exactly for all the times that your mowers take a four feet drop when you're casually using it in your backyard. I guess if that's how every time I use my mower, I like to put it in the back of my truck
0: and then just kick it out.
1: Yeah, exactly. I guess that's the one, I guess that's the one practical situation where that would happen. But it, it was, it made me think of between that and all the other ways people were demonstrating their products, how some of them seemed spot on, like perfect. Right. That's how people are using it. That's the abuse that it's going to take. And then sometimes it's like the furthest left field thing.
0: Yeah. There, I could see maybe like, uh, where it has to drop like six inches or something. Cause you're yeah, pulling it totally. out of your, out of your shed or something. Yeah. I'm sure people do that. Well, if it can make it four feet, it should make it six inches. Oh, no, that'll destroy it. It's only designed to take a four (laughs) foot
1: drop. Only at terminal velocity. (laughs) That's right.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, Designing a demonstration to show improved performance is a pretty interesting challenge. Totally. So another one that I saw that was interesting but didn't really speak to me for how I use tools was a side-by-side comparison of impact drivers. So, right. Rigid had their impact driver, and it was set up on a plexiglass box, and that had a – the impact driver was on a, a nut that was on threaded rod. And then there was, I think, three 25-pound weight oh, plates. Yeah. And so, when you pull the trigger on the impact driver, it turns the threaded rod and lifts up 75 pounds. Oh, yeah. Right. And it's a race, and it's side-by-side side with a Lowe's uh, Cobalt brand impact driver. And you can, you can test them. You can pull the triggers on both of them and see which one goes up faster. And the rigid one, I mean, they set up the test, so obviously it is like three times faster. That was cool as a demo, as sort of a science fair kind of thing. But I've never had any right. impact driver not be strong enough for what I'm doing, because we're often driving things into... Wood. We're not trying to get rusted lug nets off of a semi truck. So there's things like that which are visually compelling, but it's, I also feel about that like the way I feel about like truck commercials where they're t- talking to me about towing capacity. I right. wasn't planning on towing a yacht. So uh, I'm more interested <laughs> in whether or not I can fit plywood into the bed. Right. And so I think a really interesting thing would be and maybe this could, this could be a good question for audience submissions, and not, not so much questions, but just ideas, is what sort of tool demos are important to you? Like I've seen people, the Festool Sander, I've seen that speak to a lot of people when the minute you take your, your, your hand off the button, it stops, right? You know, Whereas like the Ryobi one, you have to keep waiting for it to, it keeps moving after oh, you like turn it off spins the power. down quicker? So you have to hold it until you can set it down. Yeah, it only right. ends up being like five to 10 seconds, but little things like that to me often speak, or people get more excited about those details than they do these sort of high-end power numbers because most yeah. of our tools are powerful enough already. Right. Sometimes we push the limits to it, but yeah, I, w- I would be interested in in listeners sort of submitting their ideas of what are the sort of critical things that, that push them over the top for being really loyal to a particular tool or they get really excited about a feature.
1: Yeah, I remember that demo and I remember a couple of other drill and impact driver demos and everyone was pushing speed, not so much power. It seemed like speed, but I was kind of laughing at the same thing, thinking, Looking back, every time I've built projects, I've never been driving screws, just like inch and a half or two and a half inch wood screws thinking, I need this to go faster. Usually (laughs) I'm going too fast and I'm like burying screws too deep anyways. Yeah, I was going to
0: say the the first thing that popped into my head of like what feature I would really like to see in something like an impact driver. So it'd be if you could make it like smaller where you can fit it into tighter spaces is, is something that would be like an upsell or actually just like the amount that you can, I don't know if the right word would be like actuate the speed. Right. So like how variable or like how easy it is to, to regulate going at a slower speed. And cause I'm often doing that where like, you know, you might drive the first part of it really fast, but then for the very end, like you don't want to bury it too deep, but you want to make sure it's below the surface. So like you want to get it just dialed in right. So being able to actuate the speed really easily would be an right. upsell for me. Yeah, that's something that I always thought is funny as well
1: because a typical drill has on the chuck, you you turn it and you basically, it has the thing that doesn't let you overdrive things right. so that if you start torquing it too much, then it just quits turning. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised that an impact driver doesn't have something similar, even if it were like a three-way switch or something like that, that either controlled speed or torque, one of the other that didn't let you over torque things. But
0: yeah. But yeah. On, I know that there are, so like obviously you can, regulate the speed with like how much you squeeze the trigger or whatever right but then right. on on the um on the high cookie ones there's actually like a button on the side that you can press that'll put it into different modes for like how fast like the max speed will be so nice. there are some sort of little things like that i know
2: oh i i thought of another one so the term game changer is used way too much first of all right like, Brands should not say it's a game changer just because they did a 15 to 20% power or runtime improvement yeah. since the previous model. That's not a game changer. That's a fantastic incremental improvement. That's inevitable. <laughs> the, to me, the game changers are a nail gun that doesn't hook to an air compressor because the compressor is on board. And then when the first gen, or going from a quarter circular saw to a battery circular saw, But then that's where I think performance becomes really interesting to me because the minute you break away from the platform, the technology is the most vulnerable because it's new, so it probably isn't that great yet. The first generation, completely cordless, no uh, air compressor nailers weren't great, but now they're really good. I saw R&R builders showing them and saying like, wow, no, I can, I can do everything I need with this. I don't really need the compressor. I've used them. They're f- fantastic. And not having to hook up and drag that air compressor around and have this giant hose, which is also a more vulnerable kind of hose than, than a typical cord or anything like that, is to me, that's a game changer. And then yeah. the, the incremental improvements are, <laughs> will this be a game that I want to play? uh, are are become really important. So I do care about performance, but I I normally care about it just getting up to the point where there's a big platform shift, but then making that new platform viable.
1: Totally. Totally. Yeah. And I would go, I would say one last thing about the Home Depot event that I wanted to shout out. And it's a brand that I've been, I would say routinely impressed with, and it's Husky, which I think is Home Depot's house brand. I think that's their in-house kind of mechanics and workshop line Mm -hmm. and one they've done kind of an upgrade to their their storage so similar to the rolling tool chest that you have chris where you're able to store all of your you know all your miscellaneous all your pull saws all your measuring tools you're able to store those away really well they've kind of improved those a bit and that's something that whenever i whenever we get into a good full-size shop that's going to be something that i integrate into my workflow immediately because it just cleans up the space so fast yeah the other thing that they've come out with and this is this is directly to compete with craftsman since craftsman is now a lowe's brand is they've developed a new ratchet that turns with only i think a 16th or i think a 16th inch clearance so if the handle can move a 16th of an inch then it it can ratchets it can ratchet it has enough space that it can click back one time And so they had a really cool demo showing all of that off, but I was just really, really impressed. They
2: crushed the the Craftsman. They did,
1: man. I've really got to say, they really seemed to take it to Craftsman a little bit, at least in the demos that they thought up and made made (laughs) to show off their own products, right? I'm sure Craftsman could come up with some really (laughs) good demos, too but um i was really really impressed with husky at large oh uh, but you i would you're, love to i'd love to get the opportunity to do some stuff with them in you're the future. forgetting the
2: game changer that they did Uh-oh. what was that what, what did i miss they made a folding speed square
1: oh yeah that's true that is the one th- i was i was reluctant to be excited about that because it was so cool that i almost got I almost got jealous by how cool it was. It was such a great idea. Do you Did want to you go guys ahead and get hands on
0: it? with it?
2: Yes.
1: A, a little bit, yeah. Why don't you take it away, Ben?
2: So they made an eight inch speed square, which is a tool that I use almost every day I'm in the shop. Yeah, it I was a six eight.
1: inch speed square, but same, thing.
2: Okay. But they, they made it have a fold out arm so that the, not the, the side that has the ledge that, that grips onto the material. But the, the other side, the measuring edge, has a fold-out arm that goes to 12 inches.
0: Yeah, the side you would mark with, right. the side you'd put your pencil against.
2: So it's adjustable from, so you don't have to carry around this big 12-inch square. So they, they were sort of thinking of it more for people on a job site, up on a right. ladder. You can have a 6- or 8-inch speed square hooked to your belt. And then if you do need to sort of guide something for longer or measure something longer, it flips out to do that. But it also still works in its folded up position as well.
0: So right. would, is it robust enough that like you would feel confident using it with a circular saw?
2: Yes. As a guide? The, the downside is that they had to make the, the main triangle part a little bit thicker. So it looks like it's about the aluminum on that part. Right now I have like the Empire ones from Home Depot. And I would say the aluminum on those is about three sixteenths of an inch thick. This looks like it might be a little bit closer to a quarter of an inch thick. So on the, on the downside, if there's no bevel or taper on that, then you're, the mark that you're marking is farther away from only right. a sixteenth of an inch, but it's farther away from the surface of the wood that you're marking on. Yeah. What was interesting is I was talking to the, the, the guys at Husky and I was saying, like, oh, do you guys look at like, you know, Woodpecker and stuff like that to, to see a company that puts out a lot of ideas. They're like, no, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, They had never heard of it. And the people think that the product development teams for these big companies are huge, but they're not. It might just be like a a few people, like three or four. So they're really more acquiring ideas that they see out there. And then they're sort of like buying or licensing intellectual property to kind of do that. But they're not, they don't have this big, lab of engineers and scientists sort of inventing stuff. There'd be way too much overhead.
1: It was interesting, even talking to the ladder company, there was Gorilla Ladders there and then Warner Ladders. And both of them have their unique products that they're all doing. But it seems like everybody's just kind of, to speak on what you were saying is, everyone's got a relatively small R&D team and they're just finding small upsides that already exist in their product lines and then just trying their best to accentuate that. So the Warner Ladder Company, they had really good, just classic step ladders. So just like three or four step short ladders. And they also carried, you know, every other ladder under the sun. But a lot of people really liked having those step stools, like what you would have in a kitchen compared to a ladder if they're doing something short. And so they just had the idea of it instead of small steps, doing those big platform steps, but doing it on a full size ladder. And it was just that small idea of incorporating what they already have in one product line and then taking that to a different one. And it seems like that's what a lot of people are doing whenever they're doing this sort of thing. Most of the brands are just finding a small selling point that already exists and then taking that and adopting it into as many products that they already have, if that makes sense.
0: Did you go up to, I forgot the two names, did you go up to Wagner Ladder and say, hey, how about that Gorilla Ladder? And they're like, who?
1: Yeah, well, that was the funny part is they also stuck their booths directly opposite each other, yeah. so they just had to look at each just other. all Just staring day at each too. other the whole time. Yeah,
2: it's a ladder war. People have to stop using Gorilla as their branding. Like, there's a
0: lot, I was gonna say there's a lot of Gorilla. There was Gorilla stuff grip the-
2: gloves. Gorilla glue. Yep. There was Gorilla ladders, and then Gorilla glue. I'm I think was Gorilla to- glue
0: the first. I feel like they were the first that I was
2: aware of, at least. Same. Yeah, we're going to side with Gorilla Glue.
0: They cornered the market on the Oh, and I have the Gorilla Gripper. That's that thing that I carry the plywood. Oh, I got one of those
2: too. Those are fantastic.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but again, another independent
1: company as well.
0: I guess because you just think of Gorillas as like the strongest thing with opposable
2: thumbs. (laughs) <laughs> so like if you're really gonna grip something you go gorilla you know what there also is though there's gator grip kind of stuff too i see yeah, that true because they have true. powerful jaws it's just yeah. when you're thinking of something as and a the alliteration versus you know biting something
0: yeah, yeah ladders i do not think of a gorilla
2: yeah they're, gorillas they're not, climb and gorillas climb But i think they live on the ground they definitely oh, live on ground. so they would the need ground, a ladders. They-
1: you see, so you've there got you go. chimps and you've got <laughs> orangutans. They don't need ladders. Gorillas need ladders.
0: <laughs> How are you going to get those bananas <laughs> up top? Get a ladder.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I just Googled who has the strongest bite in the animal kingdom. Number one, we have grizzly. Okay. Which grizzly gets a <laughs> lot of love in branding as well between yeah. grizzly tools. But no one's doing any kind of grizzly grip, though. No one's really taking advantage of that.
2: Because they kind like of have, they don't. Do they have thumbs? No,
1: they, they can grab no. stuff. They, they have paws. Yeah, they got claws. <laughs> yes, yeah, but the way I think of it, grizzly—they're just using that as like the power. That's like a power brand. Yeah, it's powerful. You know? Yeah, exactly. And then beneath grizzly bears, we've got the bull shark.
2: Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think the bull shark like, screwdrivers. I think the brand is like grizzly because it's it's a powerful animal that isn't too exotic. And appeals more to like our American customers. <laughs>
0: it's a real blue collar animal.
2: Yeah, very totally, grizzly yeah. bear, very North American. Right. I'd like to see more Absolutely. eagles worked into t- tool branding. I feel like that would be laser companies. If you make a laser, like yeah, you, you got to get more that eagle like eye, eagle right? Accuracy, or yeah, or some kind of precision. eye
0: protection or something. Okay, so
1: I'm I'm happy that we were able to run through those animals, but we do need to do one more. Only because okay, we've got to pay respects to the animal with the strongest bite in the animal kingdom. So in second place, we have the saltwater croc with a PSI of 7,700. That's its bite Wait, are
0: Wait, re- what are you reading from?
1: Let's just say I watched a uh, Steve Irwin episode last night. Oh, you're and just I talking about like, all these biting down. power? <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm ta- I-, I just Googled who has the strongest bite in the animal kingdom. Uh-huh. So saltwater croc comes in at number two. Dang. And it's 7,000-something PSI. Really impressive. You know, it's a dinosaur. What could you expect?
0: Oh, I know it. But is...
1: capitalizing on number one, do you want to guess, Chris? Hippo. No, very ah. close. It's on the list. Dang. But number one is the orca with 19,000 PSI. Yep. the killer whale.
0: Now, what about this? I think that somebody should work... If a certain tool that like you're gonna have on you all the time that's gonna be maybe your best friend, oh, I think they should work some more to like the golden retriever, something I don't know. Ooh, yeah, work dogs into that, (laughs) (laughs) Brandon. Yeah,
1: the golden retriever though is, uh, I don't know, man. It's 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 loyal.
2: Yeah, the tools. That's why Diablo just said, you know what. We're the like devil. too much for the animal kingdom.
1: Too hardcore.
2: We're just going straight to hell. And <laughs> <laughs> our mascot is the devil. Somebody should make Jesus blades. But we'll Jesus make it, in, a, we'll Man, make it yes. in another language. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause Satan
1: Satan, yeah. Satan saw blades would sound too
0: rough. Have you guys tried these new Lucifer <laughs> screwdriving bits? They're great. Yeah. 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 King of <laughs> Darkness. Yeah. All right, now what are you guys working on? Whew.
2: Well, All Mike right, and uh, I renovated a bus.
0: But yeah. not Mike's bus, a different bus. But not, not the
1: bus that I've been talking about for the past year. Yes.
2: yes. We did a warm-up bus. It's considerably shorter bus. than Mike's bus. So a company Uh-oh. called Old Pal, which is a cannabis company. They're kind of being like the, trying to be like the PBR of cannabis, I'd say, is what their sort of brand is. The hipsters? They reached out to us, and we've been talking to them about doing some content, and they, they leased this bus from a famous surfboard maker that's actually from Santa Barbara. So Ryan Lovelace is an old-school hand shaper and makes surfboards, you know, where they get the foam, they shave it down by hand. I don't know how they get it perfectly uniform. They must have, like, templates or something. And then they, like, coat it with epoxy and fiberglass. You know, they're they're their original river tables. (laughs) And they leased this bus from him because he had this Franken bus, which was, like, a whole thing, I think, in the 60s and 70s, where they would take, like, a school bus, and then they would take a, like, Volkswagen van, cut the Volkswagen van in half from the top up, and then Mm -hmm. attach that to the top of the bus so that the bus had extra headroom so you could really stand up. And then also all the windows in the Volkswagen van would bring all this light. So it makes it, it almost feels like you're in a traveling greenhouse. It's, it's pretty cool. It feels spacious and, and airy. And then he also built on this little sleeper loft onto the back. So this thing had been parked for a while. Old pal hired this awesome mechanic, Gabe, to, to fix it up. And so he put in a whole new engine, got it running, had to basically fabricate an emergency brake, rebuild out the chassis to hold the new engine, did a ton of work, and then it came over to us and it was, there was, there was some mold in it, a lot of decay, it hadn't really been used in, seemed like decades.
1: Yeah, all the, all the kind of weather sealing had served its life, and so it was pretty dusty and a lot of weather had gotten in, for sure.
2: Right, it wasn't weather tight. Not so, yet, no we had to do a, about a four-day renovation. And luckily, the aesthetic that they wanted was to look very vintage and weathered. So that was great, meaning that we didn't have to do a lot of paint or make everything look new. But it was challenging because we had to build out new benches and seating and upholstery and shelving for their merchandise and stuff as they go to Coachella and making sure that the stuff we were building didn't look too new and out of place was actually the challenge. So it was was totally different than what we normally do, which is trying to take raw materials and make it look pristine. We were trying to take raw materials, integrate it into something with no straight lines and still have it match the overall kind of vintage feel of it. Yeah. And we had to work with a lot of different materials. The There was parts of the bus where the frame of the bus's ceiling was poking through this like eighth inch thick aluminum (laughs) because the rivets had all rusted (laughs) out. And there's this jagged steel bars kind of poking out. And we had to use eighth inch plywood to kind of patch that up. And then we had to figure out a surface material that would blend between the aluminum and that plywood, which we just added. And my sister, Jessie, uh, came up with this idea of using canvas, and she cut it with those crisscross cut scissors, the kind of waffle scissors, Yeah, and made a yeah, whole well, bunch of you, patches, and then like laminated those in like a really cool patchwork pattern that was new, but it looked vintage.
1: Yeah, I was really impressed with that. And she, what was it that she used? It was called like fabric... Was it called Fabric Glue or was it something else?
2: I think it's like Fabric Fusion Glue. Fusion, that's it, So what it, yeah. she did was she used a Gorilla spray adhesive. Shout out to one of our many Gorilla brands. Animals, <laughs> yep. She sprayed adhesive to get the stuff to stick. And then she put this Fabric Fusion Glue over the top and then used a putty knife to kind of almost like decoupage it, but with fabric. Yeah. And that kind of also preserved and sealed it.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a lot cooler of a what do you call that, a headliner, than whatever we would have come up with. So shout out to Jesse on that one. So yeah, let's just chat about like the individual projects that we did in there. The majority of my first day, I spent doing a deck off of the back of the bus. I did that, and then the majority of the rest of the time, I spent either doing kind of miscellaneous shelf building or weatherproofing. So replacing windows and then replacing a lot of the old caulk seams that needed to be torn out and then re-ran. But you spent a lot of time working with Cedar, and this project was a real testament, I think, to the versatility of Cedar, because it looks really great whenever you—so we have a lot of Cedar 2x4s, 2x6s, 2x8s that the Western Red Cedar Association—shout out to them—were nice enough to send out to us. And lately, you've been doing quite a bit of projects with them where you take off the rounded corner like we do with two by fours all the time and then, you know, sand them, clean them up, use them like normal wood. But those look really great when they're cleaned up. But that cedar also looked really awesome paired with that vintage aesthetic that we were looking for whenever we threw that simple finish on too.
2: Yeah. I've used it with, I've whitewashed it to make that table recently and it looked incredibly modern and sleek and streamlined and then for this one, we use simple finish and it looked rustic and warm and homey.
1: Yeah, totally.
2: But I mean, hardwoods get all the love and are seen as the premium things, but man, like a nice softwood is like so easy to work with. The, the, just the ability to cut shape, round off a corner real quick to make something fit in a, in a curved environment was pretty yeah. fantastic. The things I worked on, You know, I built out a lot of shelves and benches and they had this floor. The floor was incredible. It was a plywood floor and they did like this stencil where they did translucent stains, one orange and one brown, and they overlapped the stencil to create this really intricate pattern on the floor. It's like very 60s or 70s, but it's actually a kind of thing that like is definitely would be popular now. Yep. That was really cool, but the edges of it were plywood, and it was raw, and water had gotten into it, so those were all rippled up and moldy, so I had to kind of like, and you know, all flaked away, so I had to build like a new threshold that kind of covered that, removed the rotted material, and then create a transition, so I had to get a, I went in our scrap bin and got a whole bunch of different kinds, oak, maple, pine, ipe, and I yeah. cut these strips to kind of make it so, it was, so the different colors of wood would sort of match the different kinds of paint on the, on the flooring. So that was fun. There was a, they took out a wood stove out of this, which I think is also good because, you know, I'd always worry about, like, you know, dying of asphyxiation if you had, like, a wood stove in and in a bus. Now, thankfully, the bus isn't that sealed. But yeah. so we had this, <laughs> this giant five to six-inch diameter hole through the roof where a stovepipe went through. So I had to figure out a way to patch that. And luckily, I had just done the shipping container and knew all these tapes and Henry seals, uh, which is like a spray silicone seal for sealing uh, roof seams, to do that. But what I did was a, I took one at Harbor Freight. I got this, you know, how like for a uh, home and garden, they have all these little solar panels on a stick that you can stick right into the ground. And it has a little light built into it. Yeah. Well, they had one where it was, it was that little solar panel on a stick. But instead of a light in it, like a lantern, it had a LED strip come out of it. So I took that and I put that stick through a piece of flashing for like a vent, which which took the six-inch diameter hole down to a one-inch diameter hole. And then I put that little solar-powered stick in there. So I have a solar panel that's covering up the hole now. And then I ran that LED light and put it inside an old rusted steel Moroccan lantern. So now we... Basically took this really medieval looking lantern, but upgraded it with a solar powered LED lights uh, yeah. so that, and, and all to patch the hole. So there's a lot of little details like that. We will be doing a video for it. I don't know if the video is going on one of our channels or going on the old pal channel, but stay tuned. We'll have a lot of content. And, oh, I got to test out the GoPro Fusion 360 camera, which was pretty pretty cool. So I'm just looking at the footage now and yeah, that, that, that technology is, is pretty incredible.
0: So then I'm guessing while you guys were doing this bus renovation, like was a lot of the stuff that you had to do, like you couldn't really pre-plan it. It's just like, we got to see the bus and kind of figure
2: it out on the fly. It was all on the fly.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's what it seemed like. That's why I was actually going to ask, did you, did you guys film it? And are you making videos? But yeah, it was a
2: three-dimensional, in real time, Pictionary kind of thing. It was a crash course <laughs> where, I mean, those things are, are tricky and it's also difficult to work in a group environment in those kind of settings where there isn't a set plan. So it's hard to delegate
0: right.
2: and it's really easy to get too zoned in on the one thing that you're working on and spend too much time doing it. So we knew we only, the bus was supposed to get there like a week earlier. So our, our timeline got really compressed. Mm-hmm. So the challenge was to actually pull back and not get too focused on the one thing ahead of you when there's so many individual tasks to do. Right. And also not getting too, I was about to say, and also
1: not getting too involved with the one thing you're working on, knowing that you've got 12 other things to get to that same day. But you did a great job being project manager, I guess is the right word, in terms of making sure everybody kind of, one, you know, had whatever they were doing currently, but also had a good idea of what to do next. Cause I basically kind of looked at you the first day and was just like, I'm hands, just tell me what to do. So like, yeah. you gave me a project, I did that. And then like, as I was wrapping on that, you're like, hey, whenever you get done with the deck, if you don't mind like getting the windows replaced up in the loft, I was like, all right, cool. Just yeah. keep me with things to do. And you did a good job with that. So that,
2: that's a two way street because either one of us can, it's, it's, it's nice to work in a situation where there's no hierarchy, where no one person is the boss. But the downside of that can be is that there isn't, there's no definitive direction Mm. and work can overlap and be contradictory. Yeah. What's nice is when there's no ego in the work, there's pride in the work, but no ego where nobody's offended. If it's someone else's idea, it's just, we all benefit from getting this done. We all realized that good communication and our ideas aren't as important as just getting this done in an unreasonable amount of time. So yeah. it, was a nice, it was a nice working situation, and it turned out – I thought we were going to be pulling an all-nighter on the last night, to, to be honest. But we actually finished it, and you know, we worked 12- to 14-hour days, but we weren't working you know those 16- to 18-hour days, which are the ones that are kind of miserable.
1: Yeah, they were just like casually long, hard days. They weren't like no day was tough, particularly. They were just like good, solid days. But that same idea even translates to, at the Home Depot event, to rewind a little bit, one of the stations that they had us kind of hanging out at was a picnic building station. Oh, yeah. And Ben, you were in a separate group than we yeah. were. They basically split us up into two big groups. And then within those big groups, they would split us off for different activities even, even further. And so one of the things they had us doing was taking a bunch of lumber, like the wettest two-by-sixes I've ever used in my life. These things were so heavy. Dripping. They took these like 45-pound two-by-sixes and we were building picnic tables out of them and it was the exact same thing to what we were talking to. They basically told us to split up into groups of five and so... You know, it just so happened that I was kind of standing with uh, Brad Rodriguez, John Malecki, uh, Mike Clifford from Industrial Maker, and then Johnny Builds, and we all kind of just immediately gravitated to our group of five. And then there was a couple of other groups. And the first thing I did when they handed us our instruction <laughs> sheet was literally just be like, "Brad, here you go, Brad. From in Fix in this, build that." Because first off. He's the plan guy. So if there's anybody that can make great plans, it's him. So he should be able to read them too. Yep. And so that was like the first thing was like, all right, get one person that is literally just project managing. He doesn't need to be cutting anything. He just needs to make sure that everything is just being done the right way and that everyone's busy. And
0: you, you guys
1: know, win. We was not it only a competition. Won. Not only it was. I mean, okay. it wasn't designed to be a competition. It wasn't officially, but, but you guys made it one. I was about to say, but I was there, so it immediately turned into a competition as soon as it got split up into teams. Yeah. And so it went went really well, though, because they're going to end up, I think, donating those to uh, a charity that Home Depot works with that's local. So that's great, because they got, I think, like six or eight picnic tables out of the whole thing. So that was really, really awesome. tables for kids. Yeah. So Brad was out there. He had the plans. He was telling everybody. He was telling who to cut what. And the whole time... That I'm also cutting. I'm looking at the, the, the other groups, and I keep giving updates on, like, there was a group of basically all the, all the girls, you know, it was kind of mm-hmm. like a guys versus girls thing, because that's what happens, and I was sitting there, I was like, the girls just got their benches done, we gotta hurry, boys, because at that <laughs> time, we are working on our stretchers, getting a couple things done, and they started catching up to us, uh-uh. um, so... Yeah, it was a lot of fun either way. The the prospective event was great. Building the bus was great. It's been a lot of fun lately. It's been really busy. Nice.
2: Chris, what have you been building?
0: So let's see. I put out my video that I was talking about for the past couple weeks, which turned out to be a 30 minute long video, Mike.
1: All right. And I and I'm only saying this now so I don't cut you off later. Okay. I watched it. It was a great video. And the pacing on it was good because you went into so much detail. And I know you're about to talk about it in a second. Yeah. I didn't watch it until like three or four days after I went live, though. I really had to find the time where I was like, all right, I got a half hour to really chill out and watch this thing before bed.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that a lot of people and speculating that a lot of people may be doing that same thing. Because oh, after okay. I put it out, I was like, man, is 30 minutes too long? But like, I wasn't. I mean, yeah, there were some like slow parts here or whatever where I could cut two minutes from it or whatever if I tightened up this. But I don't know how much that really helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, it was it was chock full of information. So I, I it didn't feel like I was purposefully being long on stuff. It just like had a kind of drawn out pace. I was going into more detail. Um, I'm really happy with it, regardless of how it ends up performing long term. Like it was a fun project to make. It was I think it's like one of my better videos that I've made. So. Your analogy at the end was
1: golden too, talking about spaghetti and cheeseburgers. <laughs> spaghetti and burgers. Yeah. I always
0: get to that point and I'm like, what the hell am I gonna say? Like
1: Yeah. I don't know. What to Especially if I just that go one. off on a tangent. Especially with that one, because you wrote a 30 minute script basically. I had like, to tie it up. Like that was probably quite a bit longer than what you normally do, too. So you're probably a little like little out there.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, now I'm building a project that's very much the opposite of that. It's a very quick project. So me and Mike Clifford from Industrial Maker and Rag and Bone Brown is another channel. So the three of us all work with Hikoki. And so yeah. we're doing a, it's not really a collaboration. It's just kind of like a timed video release, I guess you'd call it, where we're doing a limited tools build. So we got to discuss and come up with what we wanted to use, and we settled on using circular saws, drills, and random orbit sanders. We just wanted to try to keep it to, like, three tools for whatever reason. And we're all doing our own individual projects, and they should be out by the time that you're listening to this. Um, So I decided to do a bookcase, and kind of like a large bookcase. It came out to be about, like, three feet tall and, like, six feet wide, probably, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, And it's very simple. Like I, I very much try am trying to keep it to like anybody can build this type of thing. You know, you don't need to have a bunch of tools, obviously. Uh like the, I, I just really think that anybody could build this thing. It's very simple, very straightforward, but still like very clean looking and like a somewhat I don't know if unique's the right word, but like doesn't look like something you would just go to Target and buy or something like that. So it doesn't look off the shelf. I guess that's a good way to put it. Right. Yeah. And so in the video, it's obviously going to be a lot quicker and a lot shorter, but I'm still trying to go into detail just to show like, here is one way you can do it. Here's a better way you can do it. And trying to stress that even with limited tools and if you're like a beginner or whatever, you can still get a clean result. And that most of that comes from just paying attention to like these extra little things when you're like, you know, if you were If you were going to show a bunch of screws or something, like marking where the screws are going to go so that they're showing in an organized fashion, they can look really nice as opposed to like, if you're just like, yeah, just put them wherever, it's going to look kind of wonky when you look at it. So I'm trying to stress those sorts of details in the build.
1: I like that a lot. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what the, using the, the pocket hole drill bit, that was Mm -hmm. kind of one of the revelations I had whenever I started doing that was. Uh, The way I put things together a lot of times is exactly what you're saying is I try and measure where my screws go, but I still screw from the outside and make butt joints whenever I'm doing a lot of casework. And I Mm -hmm. I do that all the time. I don't really have a problem with it. I think it looks fine. But whenever I realized that you could use that pocket hole drill bit to recess the screws and then put a plug behind it, like a three eighth inch dowel to cover the screw head, that was one of those moments where... It didn't take any extra tools other than that one little drill bit, even though you don't really need a specialty drill, bit, you could just use two individual drill bits. Mm-hmm. But it was that thing where finding those little loopholes where it doesn't take an extra tool, it maybe just takes a little extra time or a little bit more attention. Right. That's, that's a killer, killer move. When it comes to a bookcase, one thing I would think of is maybe some way of doing adjustable shelves. So with with maybe making it to where you drill a bunch of holes to where you could put those little shelf pins in at different places or something.
0: Yeah, I didn't do that. So this one is much more long and low than tall and and vertical. So it's got, it's basically like four long shelves with vertical partitions. Um, And those you could technically adjust. I just use, they're just screwed in so you could put them wherever you wanted, but it's kind of like big enough that. And that's the other thing is I wanted to make it very much where like, here's the idea. You can scale it however you want because for a lot of people, this might be way too big or you might want to make a vertical version of it, which you could easily do. But to go back to what you were saying, Mike, about just like, I, I think that's the key thing that I hope that people take away from it is just like, if you spend, you could do this in three hours or you could do it in five hours. And if you spend those extra two hours really, like, lining things up and cutting things accurate, you'll get a way better result. And, like, if you're yeah. doing it for fun because you enjoy it, like, I, I think that you'll get more out of it. You're just spending more time on your hobby and getting yeah, a better one result. Other,
1: yeah, and one other thing I think is is a strong move whenever you're doing limited tool projects is finding ways of lining things up and making sure that they're square that aren't expensive jigs or weird clamps. Yeah. So So whether it's, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So that was something I thought about. So while I was doing it, I was using these woodpecker corner clamps that I have, but I was like, you know, most beginners are obviously not going to have these. So (laughs) let me show other ways. So with everything that I did, I tried to show multiple ways to do it. So I just showed how you can just get a block of wood and clamp one clamp to it. And then clamp another clamp to it on the other side so that they're perpendicular from each other. And that'll work to do the same thing. And like really what you're the main thing you're using it for is almost like an extra set of hands. And and then also showing how like use your vertical partitions as spacers when you're building this up so that you can get equal space things. So it's just a lot of like little things that don't even really require anything extra. They just require a little bit more time. That's
1: awesome. Yeah, because those are the same people that are going to be receptive to those types of tips are the same people that are going to be doing limited tool projects. So I think you're right on board. That's awesome.
2: That's a I'm glad you're doing projects like that and thinking about it that way. I had a comment this weekend, which led to a little bit of a flame war in the comment sections of my Instagram account. Yeah. Where this random idiot posted something that was saying like, oh, all the projects from makers looks the same. And he didn't phrase it very well, so I said, huh, I don't know who you follow, but I follow a lot of people whose work all seems dramatically different. And then he said, he listed a bunch of people. So the three of us, Bob from I Like to Make Stuff, and then he made this really sexist part of it, which says, and all the women makers, you know, April. Because they, like, <laughs> they even, all make the same things. <laughs> and he listed like April, uh, Laura Kampf, uh, Get Hands Dirty. Right, and I, I may be missing, uh, forgetting one. And I was like, "Are you kidding?" Like I haven't welded any bicycle mods. Uh, Bob's right. over there, like making, making pottery wheels, which is fantastic. <laughs> Shout out to Bob, the pottery wheel thing. That that yeah, awesome project. But then he's also doing stuff like you can't say things all look the same when Mike creates a piece of furniture. Chris creates this incredible live edge. Console. Bob's 3D printing a head that soap comes out of the nose. Uh, Laura's <laughs> modifying uh, bicycles into beer. Car- like it's just incredibly untrue. But then he, and, and you know, so I sort of responded saying, "Huh. Well, I, I can see how you might think that if you aren't looking at how things are made or the process, you're just looking at thumbnails as end products. Then yeah, you might see a lot of furniture." But I find that the more I learn about cooking, the more I can taste differences. So I was saying that l- your, your observation is probably confined by your limited knowledge and that there's more enjoyment as you learn. And this is why learning isn't this thing that's the opposite of fun. It increases your enjoyment. When you learn more about you know, wine or something like that, you enjoy it more. So the way you're talking about it, this isn't just a set of shelves or things like that. You're thinking about how you can make it so that a person in a specific circumstance can relate and achieve it. And yeah. that two things can look, not that our stuff looks s- similar, probably of, of me and Mike's stuff looks the most similar, I would say, or we have pro- projects that yeah. are, we have like variables or, or a certain pro- uh, projects that neither one of us would do that the other one does. But uh, there is some like, there's, there's a big middle part of the Venn diagram. That's oh, what I was about to say. That. Yeah, yep. But we all favor different techniques and have different biases that that inform the way we build things, and that makes it sort of accessible and achievable for different people. But when you expand the group to that broad, so, anyways, if you want to read a pretty entertaining flame war, and so my my strategy with trolls is one. I Essie was telling me about uh, an interview she read where she was it was a, a psychologist sort of saying that. Most internet trolls actually classify – or can be classified as sadists. They're people that actually get some sort of pleasure out of trying to just randomly hurt people anonymously. Like they, they actually get like a little endorphin rush in their brain. So <laughs> – Ooh, I'm being bad. My, my Is like, response, it? Ooh, I'm
1: so bad. <laughs> yeah, I think of it more
2: as like they're just – they're people that are ignored – and they feel like no one pays attention to them. And the only yeah. time they can get attention is through negativity because they lack the work ethic and creativity to, to achieve that positively.
1: And then that creates a feedback
2: loop that is right. not good. Cool. And so my, my strategy is either to ignore and delete because it's my, my channel, my rules, or if uh, if I am going to respond, I try to take the Marie Kondo approach, where right? I only respond if I'm going to get a spark of joy out of it. <laughs> Meaning like I'm, I'm ready to start the roast. Yeah. So I started going back at him and made a point that I think his ignorance is contributing to his boredom because he was saying how bored he is with all the maker community. And then uh, I kind of shouted him out on <laughs> – instagram stories which kind of brought more attention to that post and then everyone started roasting him and uh not in a mean way but just just not letting him have the last word and he got to the point where he started saying really ridiculous things like all this all this stuff is factually uncreative (laughs) right yes fact this right is fact, and I was like, "Well, I don't think you know what a fact is, but
1: uh. <laughs> let's roll with that." No. <laughs> but it, I also, it, I did like his point. The one that stood out that made me laugh was uh, basically saying, "Like he's subscribed to you, and so that basically makes him your boss." Your boss, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that one had me laughing. You're I was like, "Damn, dude, me. you've got a lot of bosses." <laughs> yes, <laughs> for being self-employed, <laughs> you've got a lot of bosses.
0: Yeah.
2: When he said, "I am here to," <laughs> He said that we're all here to amuse him and our uh, followers and that we work for them. And I was like, no, I appreciate my followers. I like we have the a abuse, good mutual relationship. But right? I don't yeah. take a paycheck from my followers. I don't work for them. If I work for someone, they have the ability to fire me. A follower has the ability to unfollow, but they don't have the ability to end my employment. They can only end like one millionth of it. Not to brag. But- <laughs> Yeah, it it was fun. And then the whole community kind of like piled on. But again, what I liked too, that wasn't mean. It wasn't like they were making personal attacks. They were just, everyone was just kind of making jokes about him and what the ridiculousness of what he was saying and calmly kind of just letting him seem like he's in his own ridiculous little corner. So that, that felt nice. And it actually blew the post up too because it ended up creating another that one thread had like 100 comments on it. So it kind of uh, helped promote the post.
0: Well, I got to say, you know, as a subscriber of yours, Ben, I'm going to bring it up at our next board meeting and I think you deserve a raise. Thank you. Wow, congrats. Wow, We'll we'll see what happens. We'll see what the rest of them say.
2: Jesse was saying like, oh, uh," what did Jesse say? It's like, oh, I'm still waiting for my weekly performance review. So when you can send that out, that'd be great.
0: (laughs) You didn't sign your FTP reports. But
2: the, the point is, is that, it's not just end product, right? Like it's, it's interesting to learn the different ways that it's made with different tools. That's what I always liked about Anthony Bourdain's cooking and travel shows is that he wasn't just showing here's Finnish cuisine from the point of view of someone sitting at the table. He's showing the tools, the culture, the farming, the agriculture, all those things that influence it which explain why there's all these little differences in cuisine around the world even if sometimes it looks relatively similar. Like can you imagine someone that th- that that thinks a steak from Denny's is just the same steak as something from like Peter Luger? Like what's the difference? Right, like if you don't get that nuance, like that's not about you having a responsibility to be educated. No one cares but you're missing out on so much enjoyment if you can't discern those subtle differences that aren't actually that subtle.
0: Right. Can I just say Denny's Steaks are the best stakes around? <laughs> just put that, put that on the record.
2: Yeah, we used them to patch up some holes in the bus and they were fantastic.
0: <sighs> yeah, They work so well. You think that guy, you think he writes strongly worded letters to Honda and he's like, four wheels and two headlights in the front again? Come on. I know. With some Jeez. original ideas. Well, <laughs>
2: It was Jeez. funny. It, it made me think about, I think there is a certain part of the internet that just wants to see dramatically different stuff. And I think that that's why people think of the internet as a race to the bottom sometimes. Um, they think of the internet as a place without nuance. So I was thinking about whenever there's a holiday, I don't do holiday projects, but whenever there is a holiday, I think about what I would have done if there was a holiday, if I did do that kind a of trash. Project. Um <laughs> no, just kidding. Shout <laughs> I don't to actually you. do it. <laughs> I but think about i what what the the do process. Process. Right, I like to think yeah. wh- what would be my idea that would do the best. And if I was going to do something for Easter, uh I think I would have taken, you know those like terrible candies the marshmallow peeps. Yeah,
1: yeah I've, I've never eaten one, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. They
2: basically are a marshmallow candy that looks like if if a if an emoji was edible, it would be a peep. Yeah,
0: that's pretty good.
2: <laughs> so they like, must okay. make poop emoji peeps. So in thinking of what would be like my my certified banger, yeah. How are those stickers coming, by the way?
0: Yeah, Chris. So far, not so good. <laughs> okay. but I'll get so on it.
2: <laughs> if I was going to do an Easter certified banger video, and I would take one of those marshmallow peeps, I would get a plastic like toy egg, and I would embed a peep. Uh, peep in a perfectly clear epoxy egg,
0: epoxy egg, yeah.
2: And then I use would, it as a Christmas ornament. Uh,
0: I'd do some kind of thing where like Jesus comes out of something using a TV lift.
2: <laughs>
0: Let's do it next year. We're doing it. That's the upcoming challenge the Easter challenge. All right, we'll do that next year. We'll do the Easter. We'll all
1: we'll all come up with our best. You better start Easter.
0: brainstorming, Mike.
1: All right, yeah. But I'm not gonna give y'all any hints once I come yeah. up with it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna no, I'm gonna come yeah, out with we've a we've too early. Yeah, I'm gonna come yeah. out with a certified banger completely unannounced. Nice. All Here. right. Well speaking of certified bangers, I wanna hear what you guys have been recently exposed to, whether it's a TV show, a new product. What are you guys ab- currently obsessed
0: with? I got a real quick one. So this okay. is not a new product, but something that I never used before and was just like randomly on Amazon. I'm like, I'm gonna buy a shoehorn.
1: These things are
0: game changer.
1: Get out of (laughs) here, Chris. No, it is not a game changer. You got to get (laughs) a shoehorn. It just lets you put shoes on without bending over. That's not a game changer. No, no, no.
0: without like ruining the back. I was like crushing the back of my shoes every time trying to put my foot (laughs) in there. These things, man, just slides in like butter. You don't don't untie your
1: shoes, do you? I don't. Exactly. See? That's what I'm a shoehorn man. You want to talk about a game changer? It's called untying your shoes when you take them off and put them on. That's well, the real game I changer. Have, I don't have that much foresight. Alright. Well, I'm on the same boat. I don't untie my shoes either, so maybe I should look into it. Yeah, I'm gonna buy <laughs> you a
0: shoehorn for Easter next year.
1: Awesome. Okay, that's a solid one. I'm waiting for that video. I'm waiting for the bent laminated shoehorn.
0: Ooh, that's pretty good.
1: Yeah. You could like uh you know make a cool little form for it and everything. I like but it. I'm gonna give a shout out to a channel. It's called Fully Charged actually it's a fully charged show, but they do car reviews on electric vehicles. I think that's the 99% of their content. And this week I saw a video on the Honda e-prototype. So if you just kind of search Honda e-prototype fully charged, you'll find it. But Honda's come out with an, <laughs> a new little electric vehicle. And as small and compact as it is, which is kind of Leaning towards something that I wouldn't buy just because I've got to fit plywood in something, I think it makes up for it. It's kind of got a little bit of Mini Cooper mixed with a little bit of futuristic. I like the blacked out LED kind of thing happening. It is pretty cool. It is it's pretty neat for what it is.
0: I like how you you spelled it out Honda and then E. Like somebody would have thought it was like oh it's not a Honda. It's just like kind of like a Honda. It's Honda <laughs> E.
1: Yeah.
0: Honda I tried my
1: I was about to say I tried my best to like Honda the letter E, e prototype. Yeah. That's what I should have said. But but yeah, it, it's pretty cool. But mostly for the channel, they've they've got a bunch of videos, all of them kind of around electric vehicles and Um, that they do a good job of kind of doing the, what's that show that was on BBC where they would top gear. Gear? Yeah. Top gear. Um, they don't quite have as cool of performance tests, but they do a good job of running through the, through the vehicles, similar to like what top gear used to do back in the day. So if you're interested, check it out. I think you'll, I think you'll dig
2: it. Nice. So from my, my obsession is with Conway electric, which I think I've mentioned them before, but they just sent me a bunch of stuff to, for the container house and for that spam email project that I've been working on kind of on the back burner. Yep. And I, I don't know a ton about electrical stuff. So when I first saw this product, it appealed to me, it's appeal to me was primarily aesthetic. It had this kind of cool retro vibe and great color combinations. And it allows, it basically makes an extension cord that looks good enough to be home decor. And, that, that idea to me is amazing because we all need plugs in different places. Like we need them, you know, the homes were designed to have stationary floor-mounted or electrical appliances that were sitting on top of tables and stuff. It, they didn't anticipate that we'd have these tiny pocket-sized devices that we need to recharge constantly. Right. So <laughs> having a beautiful cloth cord with a cast aluminum powder coated receptacle at the end allows you to sort of bring a really nice looking plug wherever you sort of need it in a way that isn't that's complementary to the decor of your interior environment that was all cool i thought great they look great they're under expensive side and well i met with the the founder of them of that company this this weekend and we just had a great conversation i was saying like well you know what what makes your product this price point and hearing him sort of explain in detail like all the things that they do was, <laughs> was, was pretty impressive. So again, it was something where my limited information about this was not allowing me to see the difference. And I was just looking at the, what it looked like on, in an image, not in person. Once I held it in person, I said, oh, wait, every, there's no exposed screw heads. There's only these like hand, hand-milled brass plugs oh, wow, this isn't uh, a plastic body or a galvanized steel body. This was like custom aluminum and there's no, it's perfectly smooth on the outside and powder coated. Yeah. And once you see that level of detail in person, it was very much like a, you know, if you're familiar with the company Shinola uh, that makes really nice sort of stuff, it's like that level of, of craftsmanship. So one, it was, you know, seeing those differences up, up close, but then also hearing how the, how do you know how like the optimal way to char- what the optimal way to charge a smartphone is? Um, other than plugging it in?
0: On no. A four eyes wireless
2: night. Well, stand. Mike, you almost always have no battery, right? <laughs> yeah, I pretty much live <laughs> at 12%. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well,
2: one of the things that might be contributing to that is that you've been charging your phone wrong. So most chargers uh-huh. when you plug them in, it sends a consistent amount of current into the phone. But your phone battery, if it's not warm and you just sort of plug in too much current, it can actually create little tiny crystals within the lithium-ion uh, battery, which then decrease the performance of the phone or of the phone's battery over time.
1: Oh, okay. I've Before you go on, I've kind of heard something similar. So in my, in my car, I've got one of those like fast chargers, I think yeah. is what they call them, to where it just like – charges it like four times faster than a
2: normal outlet. So right. that's probably even doing it worse. Well, it depends on if it's a fast but smart charger.
1: Probably so, not, because I got it on eBay yeah. or Amazon, but, one or the other. It, it still might <laughs>
2: be. smart, But the, the best chargers, they start with a trickle for a few seconds that allows the battery to warm up. And then mm. once the battery's warmed up, it can take more flow faster. So it's almost like there's like a viscosity of a, of a fluid flowing into something. Whereas you yeah. warm it up, then you can get more in quicker. So if you – and if you don't force charge it by putting too much into a cold battery, you don't create those little crystals and uh, detract it on the device. It's but, like foreplay. Yeah. <laughs> so just go jamming that up, charger right yeah. in there.
0: Chris, come in <laughs> with the heat, dude. Nice. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome. That could be their, <laughs> new, that could be their new slogan. <laughs>
1: Foreplay for your iPhone.
0: (laughs) Just gonna warm it up. (laughs) Just give a little kiss on the neck before you before you go
2: plugging that phone in. But it was one of those times where, like, learning something makes you appreciate it more. Um, So I think I think we're gonna be working with them. I've been looking for a a electrical company to partner with because that's not an area of expertise. I have a great deal of knowledge in, and I would like to develop more lighting projects. So they should be a a fun partner for that. So shout out to Conway Electric. They have a pretty good Instagram feed with some some nice content.
1: Yeah. It's funny, even though, so Conway Electric is a brand that they don't have an incredibly huge product category or product catalog. Mm -hmm. And so their Instagram feed, you know, it's it's not the same product over and over again, but the same products do make repeat appearances, but everything is shot so crisp and clean that it does not bother me at all. Like, they do a great job of staging and doing those really crisp product shots as well that, yeah, I'm not bothered by their Instagram feed whatsoever. One bit. Oh, I no. thought you were going to say one bit. I was going ah. to say to jinx you. Speaking of Instagram feeds, if you're interested in following us individually, you can find us at 4EyesFurniture, Eyes Furniture. That is Chris, At Benjamin Ueda, that is Ben, and at Modern Builds, which is me. Collectively, we are at Modern Maker Podcast. That account doesn't get posted to an absurd amount. Uh, It gets posted to a lot whenever we do challenges, which is something that we're working on the next one. So make sure and follow that so you can keep updated anytime we have useful information. Aside from that, if you're interested, in giving us a podcast review. We would appreciate that on the iTunes app. It just lets that app know that we're a good show and that it should suggest us to people that like similar content. Finally, if you're not already, you know what? I was going to say if you're not already, but I I ran through the list already. <laughs> you already did. All right.
0: yeah. <laughs> if you're not already, listen to another episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you haven't listened from episode one, go back and do that. We'll see you next week on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.